North Terrace. My name is Matt. I'm one of the ministers here. Uh, it's awesome. Chris has done a great job the last two weeks teaching. You give him a hand for all the way he just continues to be used here. I love that guy. And um, happy Mother's Day. Uh, I can't believe Zach got through that without choking down some tears. I was pretty impressive. I was over there getting a little misty. Um, in your life right now, do you have an area or maybe multiple areas where you just feel stuck? That it just seems to be the same thing every day. If, if you, from five or ten years ago, were to travel through time and observe your life now, and you two were having coffee, and, and please, this is just a hypothetical, do not do that, Okay? it would absolutely destroy the space-time continuum. All right, Back to the Future taught us that. But in the hypothetical, what would they say? Would they say with a hint of disappointment in their voice, this is where we're at? I thought we would be so much further. I thought we would be experiencing so much more than this. Because I talk to so many people who feel frustrated and unsatisfied in their marriages, in their jobs, in their parenting, even in the mediocrity that their, their, their relationship with Christ is at in the moment. That they are frustrated because they expected more, but they're not experiencing the more. And it's not that they're doing anything catastrophic. It's not like they're trying to tank their marriage by having an affair. It's not like they're trying to hurt their children. Or even that they're blatantly serving other gods or anything like that. It's just that they feel stuck in a rut. And today as we begin this series called Greater Than, we're going to be following this guy in the Bible by the name of Elisha. Who when we find him... He is definitely not experiencing the greater than that God has for him. His life is basically stuck on repeat. He's living in the good enough and not experiencing the greater than. And God is on the cusp of getting ready to reveal the greater than the immeasurably more that he has in store for this guy. He's about to reveal the ways, the greater ways that he's going to use him. So if you would, if you have your Bibles with you, or even a device of any kind, if you would open that up and turn to 1 Kings chapter 19. And what has just happened in this story before this point we're going to pick up at is God is having a conversation with his prophet Elijah about Elisha. And I know that's confusing, right? Don't, don't get lost on this, but they're having this conversation behind Elisha's back. And the topic at hand is transition. You see, Elijah had been the prophet of God, this rock star prophet doing great things for God. He was this guy who was the prophet between the, in the ninth century B.C., when the nation of Israel had become divided into two different kingdoms. It was a very dark season for the nation of Israel. But both both parts of both kingdoms were not really following 
God. They were following other false gods, one in particular by the name of Baal. And again, Elijah was this rock star prophet. Even one time, he had this like royal rumble, this steel cage match on Mount Carmel, where he climbed into the ring and into the, in the cage with 500 other prophets of Baal, and Elijah was the only one to come out alive. God used him for great things. But Elisha, at this time, was a simple farmer. But God was revealing to Elijah that Elisha was to become the next prophet, that he was to go find him and anoint him as the next prophet. Again, Elisha is completely unaware that this conversation is taking place. So we come to verse 19 in chapter 19. It says, so Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. So what we notice right out of the gate here with Elisha is he is doing the same thing that he has been doing for a long, long time. He's a farmer. I'm not a farmer, but I grew up in a very small town in Indiana, surrounded by farmland. Many of my friends were farmers. We even had Drive your tractor to school day, all right? When I told that to friends of mine who who were from the city, they looked at me like I was from another planet. I didn't have a tractor. I couldn't drive it, whatever. But here's what I've learned about farming. If you want to be a successful farmer, you need to have a system. You need to systematically go about farming. You can't change things up because you're like, I want to change things up. You've got to do things dictated by, the, by, by your system. It's a monotonous job. I don't know if there may be even a more monotonous job out there than farming. And you might say, well, come to my office and I'll show you one. The same commute, the same people to work with, the same sales quota, the same meetings that you seem to happen all the time, the same desk, the same paycheck, the same lack of passion. Moms, your job may go up there too. Changing the diapers, packing the school lunches, picking out the clothes for your kids and maybe your husbands, uh, shuttling them to all kinds of events and practices, Honing your Minecraft skills, some of you. Yeah? Pinning things on Pinterest that you wish you had time to actually do. But here's the thing. It's easy in a life of routine to settle for normal and miss out on the greater than that God has for you. Imagine what Elisha's day in and day out was like. The same fields, the same team of oxen that he is driving. I mean, imagine that day in, day out, that you're doing that every single day. What is, what is Elisha looking at all day long? Right? I mean, what's the odor coming back there at him where he's working? What is the sounds that he's hearing all day long, day in and day out? I'm not trying to be gross. I'm just saying it's a multi-sensory experience. You think your job stinks. But this is, this is the routine that he's in. It's comfortable. It's familiar. 
and he finds himself in this rut. We end up settling in ruts, don't we? We end up settling for the familiar and the normalcy, and our faith ends up getting put on a shelf, collecting dust, because we start thinking, this is all that God is going to use me for. It's so easy when those ruts come in to lose our passion for our marriage, for our our parenting, for our families, for our jobs, even for God when we settle and we find ourselves in ruts because we have our lives set on repeat, repeat. A book that has really spoken a lot of truth in my life recently, and I know many of our staff here at North Terrace has read recently, is a book by Dr. Henry Cloud called Necessary Endings. And he says this, he says, to do the same thing over and over again, expecting different results is not only crazy, it's a recipe for staying stuck. And in the stuck is where we find Elisha. And if you feel stuck in a rut today, I hope you will notice this. That when we find Elisha, he is being faithful with the task at hand. And these words are right from the, from the lips of Jesus. He says when we are faithful with the little things that God gives us, that's when he gives us the more. And God is about to reveal the more to Elisha when Elijah walks by and throws that cloak around him. And then he just keeps on going. See, in the middle of Elisha's daily faithful routine, that's when God interrupts him and invites him to enter into a greater than kind of life. And I want to try to begin to kind of pull from this story and begin to apply it to our lives because I think you will find a part of your story in Elisha's story because God wants to do greater things through your family, through you, through, through your marriage, through your parenting, through your job. Through, God wants to do greater things. And that's my prayer for you for this entire series is that he will begin to unveil that and that you will begin living it out. Listen to these words from the Bible. This is the Apostle Paul. He says, we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. That there are things that need to be done in order for God's kingdom to become revealed in our community and in our world that he has created you specifically and uniquely to do those things. But we will never get to those things if we settle for the lesser than life that we might be leading right now when we're mindlessly stuck behind the plow driving the oxen. And in the very next chapter, Paul also says, and this is the kind of a verse we've pulled from as our, our verse, North Terrace. We say, it says, Now to God, who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to His power, not by our own power, His power at work within us. You see, nothing wakes us up. Nothing shakes us up, gets us unstuck, and thrusts us in to the the, the more that God wants us to and out of our ruts. And I want you to write this down in your program. When we become aware of the presence of God in our lives. We need to become more aware of the presence in our 
of God in our lives today, in, our, in the normal things. Listen, have you ever been in a situation where you have found yourselves very suddenly in the presence of greatness? How did you respond in that? When I was about 11 years old, my dad and I, we were in uh, Louisville, Kentucky at the Hyatt Hotel, and we were getting onto an elevator. And there were two guys already in the elevator with us. And my dad said, hello. And I didn't really look until halfway through the the ride, and I kind of peek out of the corner of my eye, and all of a sudden, I think my eyes maybe bulged out of my sockets because I recognized instantly who we were in the elevator with. It was these guys right here. I mean, come on. We're talking Millie Vanilli, blame it on the rain. And girl, you know it's true. I mean, come on, right? I'm in love with you, girl. I mean, it's awesome. This is Millie Vanilli at the height of their fame in 1989, Grammy winners. This is before we all found out they were frauds and lip-syncing their own songs. But but stop and think about this. I mean, if you go back to YouTube and watch Millie Vanilli, Google that. The music doesn't quite hold up. I mean, the fact that these guys got Grammys in the first place tells you about how broken and sinful our world was in the 1980s. Um, It was awful. But listen, we got out of the elevator. And my dad must have noticed that I was pretty starstruck. And my dad said, who were those guys? And I'm like, are you kidding me? You're so embarrassing, Dad. I mean, he didn't recognize that we were in an elevator with two of the most famous men in America in those days. We had a staff member at our church, actually, who when I told her that, that who I was, who met, and I won't mention her name, but her name is Katie Norris, um, she said, who is that? She's not here today because I fired her. Um, <laughs> not because you didn't know who Millie Vanilli was, because you made me feel old, right? I mean, seriously. But as, listen, as many people, Christians even, we are unaware completely of the presence of God that chooses to be with us. And I'm not talking about that God is with us in some kind of abstract way because he's omnipresent and God is everywhere, right? But that God chooses to be with you in the ordinary life cycle that you are in, even in your ruts. God chooses to be right there with you, extending an invitation to leave it behind and to enter into the greater than that he has in store for you. King David, he wrote this in the book of Psalm. He says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. Even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. And it amazes me how sometimes we can just be so unaware of the presence of God that is right there with us. There's a story where Jesus is with his original 12 disciples, and Philip is one of those disciples. And Jesus says to them, I am the way the truth, the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. And Philip, he doesn't get this. He, he, he has been with Jesus now day in and day out for some time. He has heard Jesus teach like none other before. He has witnessed miracles and healings that Jesus has done, but he still doesn't get it. And he says to Jesus, he kind of blurts it out, he says, you know, Jesus, what would really help us is if you would just give us a glimpse of the Father then we would really believe. And Jesus kind of says, you know, 
really, you don't get this. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. And he says in verse 12, he says, I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I am going to be with the Father. Now, what he's not saying here is that when you believe in Jesus, that you will become greater than Jesus. I mean, that's crazy talk right there. But what he is saying is that when you believe in Jesus, that the presence of God, the presence of Jesus himself will live in you. And he will empower you to enter into the greater things that God has call, is calling you to be about. You will begin to experience the immeasurably more, more than you can ask or imagine, not because of your power, because of his power at work within us. And we can't afford to miss that. We have to become fully aware of God's presence in our lives. And here's Elisha behind the oxen, and Elijah walks by, and Elijah instantly recognizes the presence of God on Elijah. Because Elijah throws his cloak around Elisha. He doesn't say a word. He doesn't have to. Because what he has just done is symbolically telling Elisha something really big. He's saying, the same, the same covering that God has given me, the same presence that God has been with me as I've been his prophet, is now on you, Elisha the farmer. But you have a decision to make right now. Are you going to stay behind these oxen, or are you going to get out, and you're going to follow me into the greater things that God has in store for you? So here's the thing. Verse 20, Elisha's reaction. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. And I, and I kind of picture him out of breath when he catches up and he says, let me, let, me, let, me, let me kiss my mom and dad goodbye, you know, and then I will come and I will follow you. You see, once we become aware of the presence of God in our lives, he is going to move you. He is going to nudge you. He is going to call you. And when he does, you need to write this down in your notes next, is that you need to boldly pursue after him. You need to go, boldly go after him. Notice that Elijah, again, doesn't stop. He throws the cloak around Elisha and just keeps on going. This is like a drive-by anointing, I think, right? He he says, are you in or are you out? And isn't that how God operates with us? He goes up to, God goes to Abraham. Abraham. He says, pack up everything you have, pack up your family, and go. Where? Not important. Just go. Just start putting foot before foot, foot after foot, and I'm going to reveal to you where you're going as you go. He tells Moses, go back to Egypt and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. Moses starts giving all kinds of excuses how that's a terrible plan. God's going, I don't care what you think about the plan. That's not your job. Your plan is to go back and be my mouthpiece. I'll get things done. Jesus goes up to Peter and and Andrew and James and John, who were fishermen on the beach, mending their nets in the middle of another monotonous job as fishermen. And Jesus walks up to them and says, follow me. And the Bible says that they left behind their nets and they went and followed Jesus. And here's really the big idea for today is that God rarely gives us the details. Just 
directives. And oftentimes those are one-word directives. Go, come, follow. And I was thinking this, this, this week, all the ways that God has done that in my life at different times and how true these words are, when he gives you a directive in zero details, it expects you to trust him. Time in my life when I made the decision to follow Jesus and, and say, you know what, I'm going to leave behind. I'm not going to choose the more lucrative careers that, I, that I, 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 I've been thinking about, but I'm going to go into ministry. I'm going to go serve you in, in, as, a, as a leader in a church, God. And I heard the words from him, I am all you need. In another season of my life where I found myself in financial debt. Pray to God, God, help me get out of this. God didn't say, well, save your money. Here's how you're going to do that. Here's how you're going to sell this and this and this and get out of it. He said, the first thing, it's not, it's, it, you need to give. It's not a money problem, it's a heart problem that you have. And you need to be more generous with what I've given you. In a season of my life where I was single, and tired of being single and asking God, bring that woman to me that you want me to spend the rest of my life with. I want to be married. His word was frustrating, but his word was wait. And when Janie and I began to date, we were praying about, you know, God, what do you want to do through our relationship? And the word that we both felt present in, in us was adopt. Adopt? What do you mean? I mean what's, what's the details there? Like domestically, internationally? I mean, be from a foster family? What do you mean? God doesn't often give us the details. He just gives us the directives. And there's some of you in this room right now. God has a word for you. And you might be in that rut in your marriage. And you might even have that hint of the voice in your head saying, it's time to bail. It's time to get out. And God says to you, no, your job is to stay. Are you going to obey him in that? Because you don't have to understand completely to obey immediately, so you stay. Or maybe you have a health problem that it's not looking good, or it's a loved one, and your word that God has given you is to trust, and you're holding on to that trust, and you obey him. Or maybe God has given you an idea. It could be an idea for a business. It could be an idea for a ministry. It could be an idea for like a blog or podcast or book, and you're going, well, me? This doesn't make any sense. How will I get this done? And God's going to you and saying, it's start. Start. Some of you, you've been part of the church for a while now, and you, you've been, you, you're kind of growing in your relationship with God, but you're still sitting on the sidelines, and God's telling you, you need to commit. I mean, yeah, it's awesome that we're having this relationship, but I, I have more in store for you through the body of Christ, through the church. You need to get involved. You need to commit. And maybe what Chris was talking about earlier in his announcement about baptism celebration Sunday coming up uh, next week, maybe this week God's going to say, you have never surrendered this part of your life to me. And it's time for you to say, I am all in, and I'm going to take the plunge and be obedient to the command of Christ to be baptized. Maybe that's you today. You might be a single, single gal in this room, and you're dating or engaged to a, a jerk loser punk who doesn't treat you like the daughter of the king that you are and your family knows it, your mom knows it, your friends know it. And God's word to you is, you dump that punk. <laughs> and are you going to obey him and trust that God has, is building the man of God for you? He you don't have to 
understand completely, to obey immediately. But look what verse 21 says, what Elijah does. So Elisha left Elijah and it went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people and they ate. And then he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant Elijah, he, he runs back home, kisses mom and dad goodbye, but he doesn't stop there. He goes to see his oxen, and they're like, he's going to kiss us goodbye too? No, you're dead. And he starts cooking them up, medium rare, medium, well done, awesome, let's do that. He begins to burn the plow. He turns the plow into firewood and cooks the oxen on it. And this is what you need to write there in your notes next, is because when God calls you to enter into the greater than that he has in store for you, there's no going back. Why would you want to? He has so much more than you do for yourself. So you need to burn the plow. You need to burn the plow. If you're a pragmatist now, this doesn't make any sense to you right now because you're basically saying, you're taking any form of plan B and you are igniting it. You're blowing it up. And you can read about in history. When Alexander the Great, right, this awesome leader, he's this great empire builder, when he and his army landed the boats on the shores of Persia, he ordered his men to burn the ships. Why? He knew that the the Persian army outnumbered his own army, and that by giving the order to burn the ships, it forced his army, his men, to be all in that you're going to be committed to victory. Because retreating is always easier when you have other options. And for Elisha, he decided that there was no going back to the rut that he used to be in. There's no way I'm retreating from the greater than that God has in store for me. And he began to boldly pursue after him. And as we go through this series, you're going to see the amazing adventure that Elisha went on because God was calling him to something more. And I want that for you, for your family, for your kids, for this church, for your relationship with God. But first, you've got to become aware of his presence in your life, that he wants to draw so close to you. And the only way you can do that is through a relationship by surrendering your life to Jesus Christ. But here's a promise. Even as a Christian, there will be times, there will be seasons where you feel that spiritual rut. I've been in them. Many, many of the staff, we've talked about seasons where we've felt that just a spiritual desert. You know, where we, our prayers don't feel like we're leaving the ceiling. Our prayers are where we read the God's word. We don't feel like it's speaking to us. You might be in that season right now. And here's something I want to invite you to be a part of. This is something we, we're, we're just kind of trying this out. And we're trying to try this this week. At Wednesday at 1 o'clock... If you are on Facebook, you can go to the North Terrace Facebook page. We're going to broadcast live a conversation between me and some of the other staff members. Actually, the, the two counselor gals who was here earlier, we're here, they're going to come and be a part of this conversation as well. We're going to talk about times when we've been in spiritual ruts and the things that we did to help kind of thrust us out of those ruts. And we're going to make it a fun conversation as well. And if you're there live with us, you can actually make comments. You can, uh, you can ask questions. And we're going to do this for like a 15-minute time. 
And if you're not available to get online live with us, you can always check out the page later and watch it, like it, share it with other friends. You might think it'd be might helpful to reach out to them. This is a way we're going to use today's technology to help get more information out there about what, what, who God is and how he can make a difference in your life. But you've got to become more aware of God's presence in your life. And when you do, he is going to call you. He's going to nudge you. You may be feeling it already right now. God going, I'm talking to you. That rut, that's your rut he's talking about right now. And when you feel God's calling you, you've got to boldly pursue after him and you need to burn the plow. There's no retreat. There's no turning back. And maybe for you right now, God has given you one word, and that is surrender. It is obey. It is be baptized. Give me your life. Repent. Come to Jesus. Just like like Jesus said earlier, whoever believes in me will do great things, greater things, because of his presence in us. I want that for you, church. So if you have a decision you need to make right now, the band's come out. We're going to sing this invitation song. Will you stand up right now? We're going to sing this. If you want to make that decision, you can come up forward. You can write it on your connection card or just meet me after, afterwards and we can talk about it. We want to help you in that decision today.
I get the, the privilege and the honor of introducing you to the Gibson family, uh, Ryan and Bethany and their kids. I, I'm going to have you do names. I'm famous for missing one or two names. So, Ryan, would you introduce us to the kids? This is Tyler. I'm Ryan. This is Connor, Bethany, and Lonnie. Connor, I'm going to be honest. Yours is the one I would have gotten wrong, and you're wearing a name tag. <laughs> so forgive me. We're going to be best friends at some point. Well, North Terrace, this, this family comes. They came to Starting Point and Discovery Class recently, have had some great questions about where we are as a church, and it's been fun to get to know them and see their heart for God's family, for the Word of God, and for service in the kingdom. And I can't wait to see what plans God has for you, not just in the family of North Terrace, but in this community, in this world, because God is clearly using you first in your own home, but also in this world. So thanks for letting us come alongside you. I know you come today to put your membership here at North Terrace to partner with us in God's one more vision. And I'm going to ask that while they repeat after me a confession of faith, that you join together too. And let's say this together as an affirmation of who we are as a family and what God's doing with us. So will you guys go with me, but you guys with them too. I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And I have accepted him as my Lord and my Savior. Welcome home, guys. <laughs> let's, let's conclude our time together. I just want to pray a prayer of blessing over the Gibson family and us all and moms in general. And this will be our kind of our final act for the time of worship. And uh, you're dismissed afterwards, but let's bow our heads and pray. God, our Father, you make us a family under your son, Jesus Christ, through his blood, his death, his resurrection.